this, 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 this show is brought to you by Safety FM. Welcome to Unapologetically Bold, I'm Not Sorry For. If you are a person that is tired of apologizing for being you, you know, the human part of you that sometimes feels like it has to be different at home versus work versus play, the human side that just wants to be hot, humble, open, and transparent about your wants, desires, and uniqueness. If you answered yes, this is for you. Join me, Emily Elrod, as I dive into conversations with amazing guests about what they are not sorry for in creative and loving ways. Let's get started. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another Unapologetically Bold I'm Not Sorry For. And I am blessed to have my good friend here, Chris. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm stoked to be here. So this technically is actually take two for Chris, and he is all the way across the ocean in Japan. So I am so blessed and grateful for you to do this because on take one, it was such a meaningful conversation that I'm just excited. And it was so impactful. I'm like, I'm going to beg you, please, please do it again. So before we get into it, Chris, tell people a little bit about who you are. Yeah. Hi. So yeah, my name is Chris Norris. Um, I'm originally from Albany, New York. Um, I come from a large family, and I'm not by statute because I'm only about five seven. That's about the average of my family. But I'm the youngest of nine kids, so I have five sisters, and I have three brothers, and I also have five nephews and three nieces that are old enough that they have children now. And um, yes, we come from a really large family, and quick uh, note too is I recently just added to that family Emily I now have a brand new baby girl and her Yay! name is Elizabeth and since as you said we're in uh, northern Japan and um, the cherry blossoms are were blooming and such in the spring here so her middle name is Sakura so that is uh, Japanese for cherry blossom that's so beautiful. I love that. And congratulations. And Thank you. I, what I love too is about you is that um, I didn't even know, like every time I talk to you, I learned something new. Yeah. So I joined the Navy in 1997. Um, I spent the first three years as a construction, well, I'm still a construction mechanic, but I was a construction mechanic with the Seabees, which is a really kind of a unique part of the Navy is I've been in for almost 24 years and I've never been on a ship. So I'm a dirt sailor. Um, I do construction. Um, and so I, I did uh, some of the construction battalions, but more than half my career was spent doing uh, direct combat support with Naval Special Warfare, supporting guys like, you know, John McCaskill and uh, working with fellows like that, great people like that, and doing all sorts of fun stuff, jumping on airplanes and shooting guns and driving boats and trucks and all sorts of high-speed, low-drag fun things. But it can't last forever, so I came back to the conventional forces, and that's where I found a love for the people programs, as I would call them, uh, being a drug and alcohol program advisor, and I'm now finishing up my career here in Japan as a sexual assault response coordinator. Mm -hmm. And I intend to stay in that realm as uh, I've been accepted to Arizona State. I'm going to get a master's of social work, and I'm moving to, as you can see back here, Thailand, and all sorts of fun things in my future. Oh, I love it. I'm so excited for you. And it's Thank such an, a shift from construction to the people to social work. So, but I think that flows fantastically on what you're not sorry for. So, Chris, tell the world what you are no longer apologizing for. I'm not sorry for recovering loudly. 
And what does that mean? So that means that I am a person in long-term recovery from an alcohol use disorder. So I have, I recently celebrated 14 years of continuous sobriety. Um, so I can give you the, the backstory of that is um, I, the first time I, I, I got um, into alcohol, I was 11 years old. And I, and I joke and say, I didn't, I didn't drink like a, a like an average 11 year old, <laughs> but, but from the get go, from the start until the finish, it was never normal. It was always uh, a use disorder. It, it, it never looked like a uh, social drinking or, or anything of the like. So, um, yeah, I, uh, I struggled with that all through high school. And, and then, um, I remember when folks were making plans at the end of high school to go to college and such like that, I had no plans. Like I was literally like, I was just going to get a job and blot out a pretty, uh, mundane and miserable existence until I, uh, met the grave. Um, and then some things happened, um, in my life that, uh, that kicked me in the butt and I had to find a, a way of, of making something of myself. And that's where the Navy came in. But um, so I joined the Navy and um, I joined the Navy with uh, about eight months of uh, dry time. I wouldn't call it sobriety. I would call it sobriety <laughs> because just because just because um, just because I had the monkey off my back a little bit. It didn't mean the circus had left town. Um, so I joined, I joined the Navy, uh, stark raving sober. And um, <laughs> I, I didn't last long. It only lasted about eight months. And then I. I started drinking again and I, and I, and I kept drinking for another decade. And, um, even as, as successful as I think my career was outside of work, I was really just falling apart and it was, it was getting really, really bad. It was to the point where I was isolating and, and drinking on my own. I mean, I was drinking myself into oblivion just about every single night by the end of it. And then, um, yeah, 2007, March, uh, March 31st of 2007, something, happened um and i was arrested and i found myself in jail and, and that was my starting point for uh what i built up from there so i'm uh i am the comeback kid <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a yeah i think uh i have a pretty good recovery story and it's um yeah so that's what i'm not sorry for i'm not sorry for talking about that today i'm not sorry for for uh stigma busting and, and being open and, and about it being honest open and transparent yes that's right <laughs> and that's what i love about it is that your honesty with it too because there's a lot of waves that happen and so the irony with this is that we are actually currently dealing with a family member that oh. what we say need is in denial mm -hmm. needs to hit rock bottom um mm -hmm. and this is with um drugs so but still mm -hmm. it's an addiction and uh recently has stolen tons of stuff and it's still it's still not rock bottom went to jail still not rock bottom so i'm going to talk about that too because i think it's it's beautiful for people to see that there's hope like mm -hmm. you hit rock bottom you were arrested and mm -hmm. stuff like that but so talk with somebody that may be listening to this that may either have a loved one how mm -hmm. um or maybe the person let's start with a loved one first what is some advice okay that you could give to them to help them in recovery, but not, um, I don't know what you want to empower them, but not enable them. Yeah. Yeah, no. So I understand. Yeah. So I would say for, for a loved one and a family member of, of someone who is in addiction is they need to take care of themselves. 
So they, in other words, the, the take care of yourself. So the person that's in addiction, so your your is the person that is the loved one of the person in addiction. They are as powerless over that as addiction as the person that's suffering from it. So there's there's things out there like Al-Anon and and Alateen and and stuff like that that were started by loved ones of of alcoholics way back when. You know, we talked a little bit about Bill Wilson, Alcoholics Anonymous. Well, his wife Lois started this stuff, and and. And they talk about that in there. They talk about that, hey, you're they're they're as powerless over it as the person that's that's going through it. And really, I mean, geez. You know, and for the from I mean, I'll speak from my background as as my loved ones try to help and rally around me. I mean, I just I wasn't ready until I was ready. And mm-hmm. and and it's different for everybody. And I don't want to say that everyone needs to hit rock bottom because I think they can like people can be saved before they go to really, really bad ends. And also like rock bottom looks different for everybody. You know, mm-hmm. for me, it took being arrested and the loss of my career and the possible loss of my, my relationship with my, my now wife and, and things like that. But for other people, it's like they got off their lawn chair and stubbed their toe one day and they're like, Oh, that's enough. And never drink again. <laughs> so it's good for everybody. Um, and then some people never, they just, they just blot it out to the, to the miserable end. And, um, but it's for the person that's that for the loved one, I, again, I would, I would highly, highly recommend that they take care of themselves, that they take care of themselves and they, and, and they don't, cause it's also like, they can become addicted to, to saving that person, you know, you can become addicted to, yeah, to being the, the saver, the helper to, to, you know, to being the codependent really. Mm-hmm. So, and so there's some of that going on there. So there could be some of that dynamic. There could be some of the dynamic of like, Hey, I want to see this person get help. But then when they get help and they start getting better and then you, then the person that's helping starts becoming less and less important in the picture, it becomes like, Hey, wait a second, I'm, I'm losing control now. Now they're, now they're going off and they're doing great things. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a really, it's something for, for professional help for sure. And, and everybody, you know, it's a family disease and everybody in the family needs to be in therapy about it. Um, so for for the sufferer, I mean, I would say like you know, if you're if you're at home and you're waiting for the perfect time to sober up, it's not gonna happen. Like it's, today's today's the perfect day to sober up. <laughs> it's never like the the it's never gonna be aligned to the point where you know this is this is the day. This is what I've been waiting for. I mean, that was my story. It was like I would be like, all right, something terrible happened. I was like, this is it. I'm done. I'm never drinking again. And I would um and I would make that 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 promise. And I would have that uh failure to launch if you will because within you know a day or two days would go past it would i'd be right back to where i was and um because it's scary um it's scary sober it up it's um even as miserable as life was um drinking as much as i did still it was like familiar and um you know there was some familiarity there i knew what i was going to get which was like more misery, but still, at least I knew what I was going to get. And I didn't know how to live sober. I didn't know how to live. I didn't know how to live without it. So as I would say, I was, um, when I'm drinking, I was, uh, unconsciously incompetent. In other words, I didn't know what I didn't know. Yeah. And then when I try to sober up, I become consciously incompetent. Now I know what I don't know. And that's the point. That's the point where I go, wait a second. This is going to be a lot harder than I thought. This is really scary. And I don't know what I'm doing. So I'm just going to go back, go back to drinking. 
So yeah, but over time, oh, go ahead. Yeah, what I've seen too is that it's it's almost it's easier to stay in that uncomfortable zone or, or sorry, easier to stay in the comfortable zone of just taking the drink to mask it back again or doing whatever. And, and here's the thing. People don't just do this with drugs or alcohol. They do this with TV. They do this with people. They do this with food. They do it with cell phones. I call it the Linus blanket because it's like their safety net, you know, but that in, that in essence is whatever, whatever you're dependent on that um, I'm a twin. And so literally since the womb, I've had somebody with me and it wasn't until some deep work that I learned that I was so dependent on other human interactions that it was a part of my identity. And that's yeah. the thing I'd love to talk about now is in recovering loudly, you're changing in essence who you are. You're changing your identity. Talk to me on how people can do that, because this is going to be dropping during uh, May. It's going to be a mm. mental health month. And and I just really want to put on emphasis on this is a lot of these things that we have with our mental health, just in general, we put it in as identities on us and mm -hmm. we put these traits. So talk about that. How can you how can you help people come to be who they are, unapologetically bold, who they are and recovering loudly? Yeah, great question. So from my personal experiences, like once I sobered up, I didn't know who I was. I didn't know. Like, I had no idea. I didn't know. Like, I was like the guy, like, I don't know what to do with my hands right now. Right. I like, <laughs> I had no idea because I, I had been intoxicated for two decades of, you know, here I am 30, or how old was I? I was 33 years old and I'd been intoxicated for 22 years, roughly. So it's like two thirds of my life. I didn't, I was under the influence of something. So it was very difficult. But I took the advice of somebody. I took the advice of, hey, go back to the things you enjoyed before all this. Go back to the things you enjoyed that you gave up for alcohol. Because in the beginning, I remember I was, I was doing all this fun stuff, you know, and then I thought alcohol would make that stuff better, which it did for a little while. But then eventually the alcohol took over and all that stuff went away. So I went back to that. So I went back to the things that I, that I enjoyed prior to alcohol. And I made friends naturally with people that were running in the same circles as me. So I surrounded myself with support. Um, I mean, there's there's rooms all over the world right now that are filled with people that are that are just like me that are trying to figure out how to stay sober one day at a time. So it's not too difficult to find those people. Um, they, if you had a phone book, they would be right around the front of it. Um, <clears throat> yeah, and then it's. Do the work, do the uncomfortable work because there's something going on. I mean, I, I, I really can't explain where my stuff comes from, but I just know that like growing up, I always felt like there was something wrong and I had a lot of anxiety and I had some, some issues that I really don't know where they came from. Maybe it could have been intergenerational trauma or, you know, epigenetics or something. I don't know. It doesn't really matter. I just know I had it. So, um, yeah. But do the work to figure out what are the underlying conditions that are leading to this stuff, you know? And then it's also kind of like I had to figure out what alcohol was doing for me because I needed what it's doing for me, but I can't stand what it's doing to me. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. so I had to figure that all out and then, and then try to replace that with healthier things. And that's what I, that's what I did. And, but it's fair. Again, it's, it's very important to do the work and do the, 
get into some professional therapy and, and seek help. I mean, and that's what I did. And I have no shame at all about that. And I'm still, I'm still in therapy today and I love it. Like I look forward to my, my group sessions every week. I love it. So, yeah. See, that's um, awesome. And it makes me think too, that the power of understanding your trigger. And also I love how you talk about, uh, and, and I know what you mean by replacing it. it. It's not replacing it one habit with the other, but it's, and this is, well, this is my assumption. It's not replacing it one habit with another without doing the work in between. Um, yeah. Because if you just, and that's what I've seen sometimes, I see it with, with eating or, mm -hmm. or smoking. People then they'll exercise and they get addicted to exercise, but they never got to the root cause. But I mm -hmm. love that you talk about the triggers. And it makes me think of today, I was talking with a great friend, uh, Teresa Quinlan, and she was talking about trigger recognitions and how it like, it starts at the beginning, then it creates like a, a thought, emotional spiral. Like mm -hmm. it gives me this emotion, then it gives me these negative thoughts and the emotion, then the thoughts. And then you just, mm -hmm. you don't want to have to deal with it. So you just mask it or you just cover mm -hmm. it up instead of understanding what that trigger is from the beginning. So talk about that. Like, how did you yeah, go about understanding your triggers? Yeah. So very good point is, so when I'm saying like, Hey, just replace it. I'm not talking about replacing an addiction with another addiction because <laughs> yeah, that could be, that could be very bad as well. So we need to figure out what's the underlying condition and do things that are healthy. Um, but so for triggers, it's like, man, if she's, to identify a trigger, like, I mean, I would joke and say when I was drinking, like breathing was probably one of my biggest triggers, like, you know, just breathing. Um, but yeah, so the trigger thing is, yeah, so a lot of times it does come from emotions or feelings or something like that. And that stuff comes in and it's uncomfortable and, and, it, and they trigger like your amygdala and put you into some type of like stress response. And then in order to respond to that, um, since my reward system is jacked up in my brain from, from the alcohol use, which tells, you know, through the, through the massive dopamine release and all that, that says like, Hey, this is important. And this is, this is an answer because throughout my time of drinking, it wasn't, it was like the alcohol didn't seem the problem. The alcohol seemed to be the solution for everything that caused a lot of problems. So it's when now in sobriety, if a trigger comes in and I, I can literally go, I, if I'm not careful, I could go into this like almost trans like state where I start to think like, you know, I'm going to drink over this and then like nothing's going to get in the way, even though like you see somebody be like, it would make no sense for that individual to continue that behavior. It is such a powerful pull that they're willing to sacrifice job, family, life, everything, kids, put it all on the table. I'm like, for, for whatever that is. Um, so I think it's important to, to know that, if you're in sobriety and you're in recovery, especially in early recovery and you're triggered and you begin to think about taking a drink or taking a drug or whatever that maladaptive behavior is, it's important to talk about it. That's like the mm -hmm. biggest thing is like, get it out there, get it out and get it out into the sunlight and, and talk about it. Because if I don't, then I'm that much closer to doing it, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and cause I mean, yeah, because of, and also like keep it in, like, it's this shameful thing. Like, Oh, I've been, you know, I'm in sobriety and I shouldn't want to take a drink. It's like, no, it's like, it's, it's pretty natural. So, but to talk about it is, is very powerful and it takes a lot of the power away from it. So hopefully that answers your question. Yeah, it does. And it actually makes me also go to this question about recovering loudly, which is mm. kind of the opposite <laughs> of alcohol anonymous or whatever yeah. is mm -hmm. that it's to be anonymous. Mm -hmm. But how would you feel if more people 
quit apologizing for recovering loudly. Like they actually started to recover loudly. How do you think that would impact the world? I think it reduced stigma for sure for folks to come pipe up and say, hey, I'm one of the three million people or what have you right now that are in recovery. So, and you talked about Alcoholics Anonymous and I, and I credit Alcoholics Anonymous for saving my life. That's where I first got into recovery and I did it for about a decade. But some of that anonymity piece of staying at a, an anonymous level at the level, at the level of press, radio and films, like right now, this would be like a, a, a violation of the Alcoholics Anonymous uh, traditions. And so that's part of the reason that I, I really don't do 12 steps anymore. I'm more into like a Buddhist recovery approach. That's part of it. It's because I want to get the message out there and not feel icky inside, like I'm violating some type of tradition. Um, because like, I mean, I understand the anonymity behind AA. I understand it is this, is that the alcoholic has an ego and the alcoholic's ego like wants to put him in the limelight and wants to put him up on stage. So I get that piece, you know, and I also get the piece of like back in the, you know, when Alcoholics Anonymous first came around in 1935, you know, th there was a ton of stigma surrounding alcoholism and businessmen and professionals didn't want to be associated with being an alcoholic. Um, and I get that. So, but for me, I'm like, well, why do I have to be anonymous? <laughs> I mean, am I, should I be ashamed? Like, no, I have an alcohol use disorder. You know, it is what it is. Just that's what my that's what my coffee cup says, by the way. It is what it is. <laughs> so, um, and it's so I'm at, and I'm out here and I'm like, hey, I don't look at my my alcohol use disorder, you know, as a as a crutch or a handicap. I mean, to me, it's like, man, it's a, it's a superpower in a lot of ways because, man, I, I tell you what, I made it through some very very tough days as an as an active alcoholic. And now in sobriety, like I'm still able to bottle up that determination, that drive, and now put it towards greater use. I mean, I don't know. And just some of the examples is, I mean, I'm a guy that, that ran 100 miles once in the name of, of recovery to raise awareness for substance use disorder recovery and to, and to raise uh, some funds for a nonprofit out in uh, Utah called Addict to Athlete. And also in memory of a great guy in recovery named David Clark who unfortunately passed away in May of 2020. So I did it all for that, you know, and like, so that's a person that's recovering loudly. Like, you know, you want us like, oh, Chris Norris is an alcoholic. Yeah, I'm an alcoholic. I'm also a father of two beautiful girls. I'm a loving husband. I'm an honest employee, you know, I get up at four o'clock in the morning. I grind all day. <laughs> I've got two degrees and I'm working on my third. Like, yeah, I'm an alcoholic. That's See, just what an alcoholic looks like. Oh, I love it. I love every bit of it because it is. This is what I love from this is it's hope for people listening mm -hmm. that you can you don't have to do it quietly. And if you as you said, if you do it quietly, you, there's a higher chance you're going to go back and do it again. And then the accountability mm -hmm. piece, find your people to hold you accountable, find your people to lift you up but also to be honest with you whenever you're about to go back. But I think the other interesting thing too, is what I hear from this too, is that you also said it's a family disease and mm -hmm. that making sure the whole family together, your, your close mm -hmm. loved ones, that they understand that they all need to recover. Um, oh man, there's so many great takeaways from this one. Um, mm -hmm. And just being able to love yourself and care for yourself, no matter if you're the sufferer or if you're the caregiver for either. Mm -hmm. 
the power of that. So two-part final question. Somebody is apologizing for recovering loudly. What would you tell them? Be brave and stop and be vulnerable and realize that vulnerability is a sign of strength and that if I'm able to and you're able to pull down some of that armor and tell somebody what's really going on inside you that the opposite of what you may think will happen because some folks may think that these folks are going to think less of me because of the things I've done once I tell them everything that's going on but it's been my experience that people think higher of you mm-hmm. and it breeds a very deep connection so when I'm able to get on here and talk with Emily and be vulnerable. You and I become a little more connected and the people out there in radio land become a little more connected with Chris Norris. And another great byproduct is Chris Norris is now a little more comfortable in his skin today. So thank you. I appreciate you so much. And I guess the second part of that final question is where can people find you? How can they reach out to you if they are wanting to recover loudly, but still just like eking the waters a little bit and don't know don't know how to do it yet yeah so linkedin is the best place to find me i'm chris norris on linkedin and send me a uh, a private message um, send me a connection request with a note and you can send me private messages and those messages will stay private too it's not like i'm going to i'm not going to force you to recover loudly i'm not going to throw i'm not going to tag you in a post and throw you out there or something right so send me um a direct message and yeah we can talk and then i'll just probably send you my my cell phone number and we'll, we'll go from there yeah that's the best place to find me if you find me on facebook you'll just see pictures of my beautiful daughter and probably it's what i had for breakfast so <laughs> more of my professional platform well i appreciate you so much chris you're such a blessing um and i just want to thank everybody that's listening in and i just want to challenge you with end this with a challenging thought if you know somebody that's recovering or if you are yourself recovering be open and be be hot be humble open and transparent about it talk about it with somebody if you can somebody that you know that's non-judgmental that actually will love you through it just start just maybe a little bit of conversation about it because in the end as he said it may actually be counter to what you think you may be filling in this script that's so different of all the negatives that are going to come in but what if one beautiful thing comes from it what if you actually or the, the either the other person gets to start the recovery and then maybe one day they get to recover loudly and boldly. So thank you all. I hope you have an amazing and blessed day. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of Unapologetically Bold. I'm not sorry for if this touched you in any way, please like and subscribe and share with your friends as we continue the message of being unapologetically bold by being hot humans who are humble, open, and transparent. See you next time.